Greetings, Top Teners. Welcome back to Top 10 with Jerry. That's right. After a long wait and after much request, Jerry returns to his very own pod to talk about a yet undisclosed topic. I don't know what it is. Mike doesn't know what it is. We have no idea what's about to happen. Jerry has prepared a top 10 of his chosen list, though. We will vigorously debate it, and by the end of this episode, we'll have arrived at a definitive version of this top 10 list. So, Jerry, what are we doing this week? Well, first of all, thank you for having me back on. I've waited uh, eight or nine months now while you've paraded um, many of your (laughs) other friends through. Eight or nine months. Um, Already I have to call bullshit on this. Your concept of time is so warped. No, No, but it's been a long time. I'm not going to lie. I've been kind of working on Michael saying that back in the day there was a Tonight Show and uh, Jay Leno didn't just take over. He was a permanent guest host, and I was kind of lobbying for that. I was hoping that maybe we could pull in a third chair. I think you're more of the Andy Richter. You're you're sort of the doofus who's just always there. And I realized that Jameson, <laughs> Alex, and longtime girlfriend, a.k.a. The Skirt, mm-hmm. uh, also have two episodes. So now I think I'm um, catching up to them. So anyway, thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. And finally, after these eight, nine months, however long it it's might been. Yes, these long it eight, may, nine It may months. possibly be a, a year. But anyway, so <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly sure how to introduce tonight's topic because I, I can't really describe it. So maybe you guys can help me. But I'm calling it the top 10 basic things every man should know how to do to have a pretty good life to get by well that is i like the sound of that topic this is going to make for some interesting titling work for the the behind the scene folks yeah well there's a second there's a second part or how to make yourself tolerable or possibly even likable to others oh that's kind of shorter so that's okay that's perfect Yes, yeah, so that not, is a lot more succinct. So, <laughs> so it's sort of like that how not to be a dick book that you got me. Yeah, yeah sort of. <laughs> sort of. But anyway, I just want to note, I'm pretty sure you wrote on the inside cover of that good luck or something <laughs> to that effect. Yeah, you'll need it. Yeah. What, yeah. what about, so what is, how about this? Essential man skills? Like, is that like a fair summation of this? Or to at least to be going by on to get to starting on, and also I want to okay. So, and in a related question, what Kyle's asking is this a gendered thing? Do we think? Well, I think it's I I say a man, but for the most part, it could be a man or a woman. Essential these life are just skills, things that I think you should know how to do to kind of get by. I, I didn't do any research. I know I'm a huge fan of the cast, and I know that sometimes you come up with these things, and sometimes you research, and so I'm the inspiration for this. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go online and look it up first because I know your own inspiration. Yeah, you're the inspiration. Uh, thank you for you're that. You're the by wind the way. beneath your own yes, wings. Yes, well, we all know that. No, but no, but I, I thought about it. I wanted to come up with this list of sort of what I thought was important and look afterwards. So, so the list is my list about what I think is important. It's not, it's not a how to get rich. It's not a, uh, okay. It's none of that. There's no, there's no life advice. There's, there's Could no. Could it be in- something like essential skills for adulthood? Uh, sure. It sounds like sure, it's more, I mean, it's almost more Jerry specific. Like, are these just like Jerry values? No, these are, these are things that I think are everybody's values or, or our skills. It's not, I think when you see the list, when it starts to go, you say, ah, oh, okay. 
I the, get where this is going. Then we'll then we'll figure out a title afterwards. Yeah, we'll let this thing title itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not that selfish, despite you know some people's depiction of me. I'm I'm you know this is kind of an everyman thing. So anyway, I I, I will start at the bottom. So it's a good place. We we'll dig that number ten. How to shake hands. Ah, I feel like you should know how to shake hands. You know, you meet someone, it's their first impression of you, and I think it tells you a lot, right? Is it a fishy handshake? So that was my next question. It's like there's the, there's the standard kind of general way that you're taught to shake hands, which is firmly and, you know, look directly into the person's eyes. Are these kind of the same attributes you look for in a handshake, or is there something, something b- besides conventional knowledge that you would nope. add into this. Nope, just conventional knowledge. You shouldn't squeeze the shit out of somebody's hand if you can, and you shouldn't do the dead fish, and you, you know, just... But I think that's that's a way to sort of start anything. You should know how to shake a hand. It's a basic thing. We meet people in life, so we should know how to shake a hand. Well, I think this one's interesting because there's definitely two distinct camps of mistake you can fall into. One is the mistake of the lack of confidence in coming in and doing the dead fish, coming in, not making eye contact, all that stuff. And those things are tough, but I think you can coach somebody out of those things. I think the unforgivable mistakes, and pretty much in my view, the unfixable mistakes are the the mistakes of overconfidence, the turnover when somebody shakes your hand, but then twists your arm down. That to me is the most unforgivable handshake mistake because it, it, it belies like a dickishness, it, you you're kind of kind of a dick and, when you do and that, and like a will to dominate. It's like pretty yeah, unsettling. it's a mushroom stamp. Yeah, and it's and it's not gonna be the kind of thing that's gonna you're not you're not gonna grow out of that. I don't think. I think the most I think that's a bad one, and the like the crushing my hand because I've got small hands. I don't like my hand yeah. to be crushed. But I think the worst thing that can happen, regardless of if it's limp or if it's strong, you just have to know when to get out because there's. There's yes. nothing worse than when you're standing there, you met someone new and you're still shaking and you're like trying to get, you don't want to, you want, you don't want it to seem like you're trying to bail. So you can't like pull your hand out, but you're like hinting with subtle hand motions. Like <laughs> it's time to go. I have to go. Yeah, let and, go. Like, there's, uh, I hate, I hate that when someone doesn't quite know when, uh, that's like, that's the biggest mistake you can make with a handshake. But you're right though. This is something that you notice. Uh, whether you're looking for it or not, like if someone is doing it wrong, like you're, you're gonna know. I wanna say, I think it's interesting because typically the handshake is something you don't want people to remember. So I think the best handshake generally is the one that isn't really remembered. It's not remarkable. It's just, it's just there. It's part of interaction. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what would make a truly great handshake because my view, the truly great handshake is the one that becomes more personal in a way that's mutually acceptable. So like when somebody shakes your hand and then puts their left hand on top of the hand group at a time that's appropriate and nice, that's so I it's a risky move Kyle for oh. the listeners is making a face. I think that can go so wrong in the awkward they're not picking up on the social cues direction. So I consider it a risky gambit. But when somebody does that and conveys true warmth, that's to me one of the only ways to really raise the handshake above just a, a, a casual interaction. I think that you have to be like a thousand percent sure that it's yeah. going to be received well to go for it. And I think the way you said that kind of makes sense. You almost, it almost needs to be a situation where you're like 
almost consoling or like you're really trying to add an extra layer of personal meaning to the shake. Yeah. But I agree done properly it really has a great effect. But in general, it's a high risk, high reward kind of move to do. So I think that's those are kind of the big points on the handshake. What else do you think? Yeah, anything? Nope. I think that's right. I think you're right. The double grasp of hand over the top implies a certain certain warmth that has to be earned and done at the right time. Well put. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So number nine is how to do simple math in your head. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I don't know. You're out to a restaurant. You're with your buddies. You're, you're, you're with whomever. And the bill comes, and they can't figure out how to do a tip. Like, are you kidding me? The tip is you, a big got, one. Ugh. This one I've learned later in life than I'd care to admit. But once you, once someone tells you, to, for me, the trick was someone told me, well, just take 10%, so just lop a zero off whatever you got, and then multiply that times two gives you a nice round 20%. And you can adjust from there. And just knowing that will trick is all you need to know to be a perfectly competent mental mather when it comes to tipping. Absolutely. I agree. This is, I think, I think what's interesting so far is there's a little bit of a theme developing in these, which is that really excelling is kind of tough. It's all about reaching a basic level of competence. Mm. Cause I think barring the extraordinary left hand over the top of the handshake that just is at the right time in the right place it's all about just, you got to get to a basic threshold for the handshake. And I think the simple mental math thing is the same. Like, we don't need you to be doing goodwill hunting shit at the table. You just need to not be that dillweed who just won't, nobody can leave the table because you're doing this crap in your head. Yeah. Well, the whole, the whole theme is just to be just someone other people kind of want to be around or can sort of tolerate. You know, you don't have to be the best guy in the room or, but you, you have know. to be competent. Well, there's certain things that are annoying to, you know, like, do a tip. It's pretty basic. You know, I like your 10% times two. Not that tough. You know? No. So, you should be able to do simple math. One other thing that I was embarrassed I couldn't do in the realm of mental math, when I first started working at a grocery store, someone would hand me, like, more money than their bill was in order to get a certain more even amount of change back, you know? So yes. somebody would pay you ten thirteen so that you give them a five back instead of giving them yeah four eighty seven exactly and like yeah. the the first time that this came across my lap I was so confused and the guy looked at me like are you an idiot like do you not understand what's happening here and I didn't and I was super <laughs> embarrassed about it this happened ten years ago and I haven't forgotten it but like I think that's another you don't use that one as often because people also people don't pay in cash as much anymore but like knowing how much change to add in order to get like a reasonable like a, a full five or a ten back i think it's a nice little if you see someone do that you're like that guy understands mental math for sure right yeah just simple simple thing you should know how to do yeah uh, seven, eight is know how to change a flat tire mm. Kyle, can you change a flat tire i've done it before i think if i had to do it right now i could but the last time I changed a tire was probably five, six years ago with my uncle. And it went reasonably well. Um, yeah, I think I, I can, I could change a tire if I needed to. That's awesome. So you're never going to be stranded. You're on the highway, broken down, no worries. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> less than two years ago, I had an opportunity to change a tire and was unable to do so because my car did not have a, uh, 
whatever you call it, like the torque wrench that you need to get the bolts off. So like I had the spare oh. and all of that. I just, I just lacked the one. I had a jack. I just didn't have the, the wrench. And so I couldn't change. It was, that was pretty, that was pretty embarrassing to call for help because all I needed was the wrench. So that's oh, another important that's almost thing. Almost worse. It's, it's, oh, it's significantly worse. It, it's like another rule on this should be like, have the tools for the job because having the know how doesn't always matter if you don't have the, the wrench. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever changed a tire under duress. I have changed a tire, practice changed tire several times. I've also changed a tire for somebody else who needed a tire changed, but I've never done the side of the highway type deal. At least for me, it's the being on display for those sorts of things that tends to make things go wrong. Yeah. So I can't, I don't think I can come into this situation pounding my chest saying I'm Mr. Tire Changer because I've done it in laboratory conditions and I've done it for somebody else whose car I didn't really give a shit about, but I've never had the scenario where all of, you know, Massachusetts driving population was staring at me while I struggled. Yeah. No, that makes a big difference. And the one time I changed a tire, it was pretty low. No, it was somewhat low pressure conditions. It was me and my uncle and our families in, this is on my uh, Geodude trip, Mike, in Utah. <laughs> and we were like in the middle of nowhere. So like we had to get it done because no one was helping us. It was a rental car though. So we weren't really familiar with where everything was. But then again, no one was out there. So it was, you know. It was it yeah, wasn't kind of too both bad. sides of it. Yeah. So changing a flat tire, I think you're right. If there's a certain art to it and there's a fear to it, and it's one of those things that it seems like if you can conquer it and do it competently, you're okay. You're you're pretty solid. Yeah. This is yeah. the kind of thing you don't want to find out. You can't do it when you're in a car with a woman or someone that you're romantically interested in, because that is a a real deflator. Pun yeah, intended. That's, oh, jeez. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, but thanks, up, uh, thanks, Dylan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the guest, with the guest appearance from Dylan as well. <laughs> Does that bring us to the not top? Are we on? What are is we it going with there? you guys? It's so it's. Uh, it I think the natural rhythm should be after eight, but that's just yeah. That's I thought just that's us. what you did. Oh, all right. We can do after. No, eight. no, no. We're not going to change the rules. All right. So we're we moving on to number seven. Yes. All right. Number seven is you know you need to know how to tell if someone is lying. Oh. <laughs> have you seen before you get into this one? Have you seen the um, Office episode where Dwight is saying that he's a great lie detector? <laughs> uh, I, I I have seen that. I've seen them all. I don't remember this episode. So he's talking about how he's a great lie detector, but for whatever reason, the person whose lies he's trying to detect are over the phone. I think this is the Office. I might be mm. biased. I'm pretty sure this is him on the no. Is this Andy from Parks and Rec? I don't know. Somebody, Quinn, Quinn will, I'm sure, correct me. But regardless, it's somebody who's completely confident that they know how to detect whether somebody's lying. And they're like, they'll start twiddling their fingers. They'll cover their face, but it's like a phone call and they have no idea. So, sorry. Bad anecdote. That's funny. I was talking to someone about <laughs> lying the other day. <laughs> I, I, you're an excellent liar. Your your track record is pretty unimpeachable. <laughs> my my track record as being able to detect a lie and tell a lie is pretty solid. Yeah. So I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying how it's really not the science anymore that the heart rate changes and everything else mm -hmm. that really the whole thing is to have someone tell a story and they tell it frontwards and backwards and it's their ability they catch them lying. I guess you can tell when there are inconsistencies 
in the story. It's nothing to do with... Like in the structure of the story? What do you mean? Someone commits a murder and you say, well, what time of day was it? And they say, well, it was noontime. And then later on you say, well, well, you said it was nighttime. Uh, No, no, no. I said it was noontime or I said there were shadows on the wall. It's just it's the construction of the story and their ability. When you're telling the truth, apparently you remember things in the same way. When you're lying, it's difficult to reconstruct it and come at it from different angles. So it's the re-asking. Yes. Just the people can't remember the lie, basically. Right. The lie gets complicated because there's so many details to be remembered. So I I think knowing if someone is lying is important if you're a poker player or you're interviewing someone for a job or whatever. I think it's kind of an important thing to be able to pick up on is how is, how do you know? How do you know whether someone's being straight with you or all bullshit? Yeah. I, as someone who's very bad at this, I completely understand the importance of it. I think it's really obvious if someone's bad at it. And I think it's really obvious if someone is being, I think it can be obvious if someone's being extremely genuine, but there's a lot of room in the middle where I have a difficult time with it. And I have a general tendency to just kind of believe, I'm like, I'm fairly gullible and like, I just tend to take things at face value, which isn't always a great thing. But yeah, as someone who wishes he was better at this particular skill, I can definitely understand its importance. I would say that you are to lie detection as I am to drunk detection. Jesus, I, Mike, I'm not that bad. <laughs> if, the, if the people on the pod haven't found this out yet, I have a, a notorious inability to tell when somebody's been drinking. I'm just terrible at it. And I think you're pretty similar similar with this. I think as a longtime friend of yours, I have had concerns and I know others of us have had concerns with your just utter belief in the good in people. Like it's, it is a great quality. It's a wonderful quality. In fact, it's one that we as a family just don't share. No. We <laughs> wish we had it. Yeah, we no. in, instead, we believe the worst in everybody and then sort of get talked down from it. Yeah. Case in point was that time that I told, came back from class in English class and told you guys at dinner that such and such a person was a total dickweed. Oh my God. What a dick. He's this. He's that. Blah, blah, blah. And. To my, I have to say, to my credit, I'm good at admitting when I'm wrong, which is often. It turned out he was actually the nicest guy on earth. <laughs> and uh, I eventually had to admit it because he was such a sweetheart. But I started out assuming he was a dick. I think you on the other end start out in a different place. There is likely a happy medium somewhere. We're kind of everyone's guilty till proven innocent. Yeah. You know, you immediately kind of look at him suspiciously, wonder. Too many rewatches of The Godfather in our family. <laughs> It could be an East Coast thing, too. Yeah. Well, and, and Jerry, what are your tips for... Because, like, over time, you start to develop an, a sense of people's tendencies when lying or telling the truth. You're meeting someone, you, you interact uh, in a business sense with a lot of people, I'm sure, that are in various states of truth them or lies. How do you make a snap decision on these kind of things? What are What's something that you look for? Um, You know, it's funny. I, I feel like their ability to just kind of talk smoothly... You know, just to just to keep going where they're not thinking about the next word out of their mouth. You know, for me, that's kind of a tip that they're constructing something as they go. So I kind of like to if you have any conversation, it should be pretty fluid. But when you ask someone a straightforward question and it's takes too long and well, uh, and they're stumbling and bumbling, I think that's kind of a quick telltale uh, sign that they might either they're really smart or they're lying. I tend to think they're just lying. But, one thing that but you, then again, one th- I'm not around a lot of smart people, so 
Well, I think one thing that you've pointed out, a big a big part of Jerry wisdom, which I'm I wouldn't be surprised if it comes up in some form or other in this is the balance between emotionality and and kind of rationality. And I think you've often said that if somebody comes back to you and reacts in an, an overly emotional way that isn't really it just isn't it doesn't come in proportion to whatever the situation is. That's often a sign that somebody's lying. So like you'll so for the listeners, my dad owns a small business and so he'll be interacting with a lot of customers and you know, they're bidding they're bidding construction jobs and, and he kinda gets involved and sometimes they'll say, Like, why why can't you have that pricing? Well, why is this an angry situation? Why can't I have that pricing? They're, just ask me the question. And so I think you've said if they're starting to get angry at you about pricing that they claim is for a job that they've won and it's for yeah. this timing. Well, they're, they're kind of, they're lying. They're trying to trick somebody and it's probably you. Absolutely. Hmm. So an unnecessary show of emotion. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's kind of interesting when they're lying. It's oftentimes, I think it's, I think it's probably typical of every business, right? The little shortcuts that people take. So for an hours, an hour business, if there's a job name, it, it might be ABC company and five people will call you and tell you it's ABC company. And the sixth one will say, uh, third rock. You know, they give you a street address or give you something less than the full story. And I think, I think that's probably another telltale is yeah. people that are evasive and you kind of get an idea that they're withholding information. And I always feel like that's not a good thing. I like this detective Jerry image in my head. I like it a lot. Oh, thank you. I know you guys are He's, big fans of the Batman. Uh, so I'll let you, I, uh, uh, you can, this is probably a good opportunity for you to brag briefly about your incredible and Listeners, incredible record at correctly cracking cases that have been in the news. Like the Lacey Peterson thing. I, this, that one probably doesn't, you shouldn't get a gold star for that one because it was the husband. Mm. But you, so many times will be watching TV and like, that just, that doesn't fit. He'll be like, that just doesn't fit. And it's th- three times out of four, you turn out to be right. Yeah, no special talents. No, no special. No, you just, just have some just a, dark energy yeah. that you just know. Yeah, I love it. I, I cracked the smart case. There was a pan, uh, what was the smart case that in was Boston? Got, oh. Not Pamela. It was someone in Boston. They <laughs> this this cab driver claimed he got held up for a diamond and shot, and the guy was behind him, and he claimed he shot him in the stomach. And I'm like, how how the hell did he shoot him in the stomach? Did he reach over the seat yeah. and? point back so yes i'm i'm quite renowned around the house yeah. always expect the unexpected yeah, always, Jerry. See the, always see the worst in people oh, uh, yes. one more thing yeah yeah yes. exactly exactly nice all right yeah what's the not top three then so i started by saying that i didn't do any research i just kind of put a list together of things that i thought you should kind of know for whatever reason like i said to be a friend to to survive to just kind of have a decent life. After the fact, I went and I looked at top 10 list of what people out there were saying, you know, what's important to be, what, what should every man know? And so my not top 10, I actually have four of them. One of them is to tie a bow tie, tie a bow tie. So you're saying this is, this, so these are kind of inessential pieces of it's, come on. knowledge. Yeah. But if you do know how to bow t- tie a bow tie out there, listener, we think you're a special, special person, and we think you're great. So calm down, Dylan. And Ian. <laughs> oh. They both tie bow ties extremely well. So Quinn. are you... Quinn, of course. Are yes. you including bow tie and necktie in the same breath here? No. Okay. No, I'm saying... 
I'm saying a bow tie. Okay. Listen, if you have the skill, I think it's wonderful. I just don't think it's essential. I mean, come on. Buy a clip on. But I would, I would broadly say that that is a piece of advice that's often given more, most specifically to men. But I think that kind of basic knowledge applies to men and women. That's just not essential knowledge. That's a, that's not a transferable life skill. That's a specific little nugget that is helpful, but who cares? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, great. I think that's sort of that category of specialized knowledge that shows up on these lists are just kind of pointless. Yeah, if we're talking about essential skills, this is certainly not, yeah. That just seems kind of pretentious. Yeah. Not if you know how, but to put, no, to put it on a list somewhere. Oh, I'm not, oh okay. I'm not yeah, buying. Yeah. No, no, if you can tie one, Dylan, that's great. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, now really cool. Moving along. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Goudreau could tie a bow tie, but oh, anyway, uh, so another thing that oh popped up on a, um, Such a dick. top 10, <laughs> a top 10 was speak a foreign language. I mean, really cool. Yeah. Uh, lots of respect if you can be fluent in another language. I think it's really cool, but that, that's, that doesn't make this list. Of essential things, I think you just recharacterize it as things that are essential. That's not essential. Well, I think it's especially not essential if you haven't spent enough time really getting to know your own. I think that a pod that we just released has gotten to the heart of many of our comrades' inability to speak their own language. So foreign language is nice, but I'm with you. I think that should be on that sort of second ring of it's a great skill to have. And it's very important, and it shows that you respect other people's cultures. But I think you need to start by learning your own language. I think this is true for uh, for us, for yes, Americans, for Americans that don't live in the South or the West, because anywhere outside the United States, it's basically essential that you know two languages. And in the American South and West, it's becoming more and more essential. And I think it's really important. I actually, I'm, I'm going to disagree. With, I mean, for, for me as a white man living in the Midwest, it's non-essential, but I think this, this rule is very, is very geographically dependent, but yeah, certainly for me, that's a good point. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one, build a shelter. You got to build a shelter. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> what year is this? We get lost in the woods and build a shelter. Yeah, these feel like they're based on a very outdated understanding. And this of was what, a compilation, like, though. Yeah. This was, no, no, this I was know, but like from what multiple a, lists. Like yeah. this, this feels like the kind of thing that you feel like you need to include on a list like this because yeah. essential is oftentimes, I think, confused with survival in a case <laughs> like this. Like you got to know how to to outclimb a bear up a tree and you got to know how to build a shelter and you got to know how to beat your way out of a a a car that's locked from the outside like all these kinds of things basically anything that bear grills tells you you need to know how to do is probably not an essential (laughs) skill (laughs) i think we as a group i think all three of us have a very modern understanding of what it is to be a man and i think (laughs) this list reflects that modern understanding and i think you're opening it up to sort of all listeners means this like 19 20s version of some some asshole with a mustache like just punching his way out of situations is not is not on our list of essential stuff eh, let's, let's just let's just wind that back a little bit okay let's, let's just yeah. see what where what comes all right so are we diving back into the tops yeah so where were we number number six yes that's right so 
All right, so number six, you kind of, I don't know, you gave me maybe too much credit, but number six is you got to know how to throw a punch. <laughs> and, and, so, I'm, and, so basically I'm praising your credentials no, as, a mo- no, as a modern man, no, no. and you are just some asshole with a mustache who's going to punch somebody. <laughs> no, there's a, second, there's a second part. There's like a two-parter. It's know how to throw a punch and know how not to throw a punch. Yeah. So kind yeah. of the idea that, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should be, you know, no. fighting, but I think that, you know, there's something about being able to kind of defend yourself and the people around you if you have to, whether it's a wife or your children or your buddy or whatever. So I feel like that's that's something you should kind of know how to do, if only to keep peace. Yeah, I'm extremely blessed and I've only had to punch one person in my life. And we've already told that story. I don't remember which pod the listeners should see for that tale, but it we've discussed it. Was it great? Did you love it? You know... Oh, boy. It did feel pretty good, but immediately after, it felt bad, but not because I regretted what I did to young James, but because I was terrified of the wrath of my mother. That didn't feel so good. But but defending myself physically did feel really good. I will say that. Yeah. I So I think in our family, we are prone to this very interesting mix of like rage, but also a very peaceful instinct. We are naturally peacekeepers, but we're kind of angry peacekeepers. So we, you, I think, you know, you've sort of experienced that way that my instinct is always to keep peace, but I also will get really mad sometimes. You have that too. Papa has that too. We're not, we're not senseless punch throwers but we really want to be yeah but we're but i think we have a well enough developed sense of of not being punchers no we're not troublemakers no we're lovers Mm -hmm. well laid back with great power comes great responsibility and you guys are undoubtedly powerful men and understand the obviously the responsibility that comes with that it's good to see well i don't know you know what's funny we can go back to number seven here. He's so full of shit. He's just, he's just totally pandering. You're bullshit, but thanks. No, I think, I you think see, you can see I in his face, we hear too. That's another tell. He's got that grin. He's choking. Oh, we hear Yeah, I, thanks, I, Kyle. Here. No, he was just bullshit flattery. Yeah, but exactly. no, I think, I think that there was definitely, a, there was a lesson taught early when I was growing up to both me and my sisters about not punching people and not solving your solutions that way. Like we were, we were pretty explicitly forbidden from from punching each other, hitting each other as kids. It was not; it just wasn't going to be tolerated. You weren't; you didn't step in and get yourself involved in our lives or arguments. Like we argued plenty; we we're you know brothers and sisters, but it was a pretty strict prohibition on punching. So we had to learn to solve things different ways. I think I do think. In, in a serious note, as like a parent, it's really not a good Pandora's box to open to let your kids start fighting because it, it just, it stops them from, from really learning to solve issues. Like I, I was thinking about this with Caroline. The two of us were having just an insanely dumb argument the other day. And the fact that we both know how to fight um, in this sense emotionally, intelligently is a big part of our relationship. Like that was something that you taught me growing up was that, it's important to know in a friendship or a, a romantic relationship or whatever it might be when to fight and how to fight and, and not to fight dirty with people that you care about. Definitely fight dirty with people that you don't care about. Trip, punch, bite, all that crap if you don't care about them. But if it's somebody that you care about, you have to learn to fight um, productively. 
Kyle, well, I, mean, I agree with everything that you just said. I like that you're. I like that you're framing throwing a punch is is a, a really good skill to have in your back pocket in case of emergency, like breaking the glass on a on a fire or whatever you on an axe, whatever you break glass on. I don't know, but you know, do they yeah, do that, that anymore? Good. This feels like a Three Stooges thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, Mike, what you said is really good. It, leaning on that is not the right way to go about things, but it also robs you of the opportunity to learn how to effectively handle problems. And there are so few scenarios in a typical person. Fortunately, we're blessed. So few opportunities in our lives that throwing a punch can realistically solve a problem that you have. Yeah. But, but if push comes to shove, this is, this is an area literally, but uh, yeah, literal sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's been obviously a long time since I've thrown a punch. I don't know how (laughs) adept at it. I would be. What do you think? I think you'd be great. Kyle. Oh yeah. No, Kyle would know. Kyle, you would be great because you'd know the time to do it. Yeah. I would, yeah. A sucker punch would probably be the way I would go for it. (laughs) That's true. Awesome. All right. Number five. Number five. There's a lot of debate, I think, about this, but I am saying you need to know how to make a signature sandwich. Oh, that's (laughs) a great one. Like there should be something that. Well, let's go around real quick. before you get into it. What's yeah. yours? What's your signature, Sammy? And don't say six of them. I know you're going to already. Pick one. What is your signature sandwich? I think a chicken cutlet with homemade roasted red peppers on a nice piece of scally bread. Yep, with is, a piece of provolone and some sharp provolone is probably mine. Yeah, that is your signature, Kyle. Do you have a signature? My signature is a, a little non-conventional in that it doesn't matter really what's on the sandwich, but my my go-to Kyle witch is the bagel witch. I really mm. like putting a sandwich on a bagel. I, I do it a lot at work, and I will expound to anyone that will listen or happens to be an earshot of me that any sandwich, most sandwiches can be improved dramatically, especially like a work-type like make it yourself sandwich, just by putting it on a bagel. That's kind of my move. I don't think I have a signature sandwich. Oh boy. I want to, but we found I, a hole. Yeah, I don't think I do. I, I'm gonna pursue this to the ends of the earth now, but I don't think I have one. Well, it's kind of a simple thing, but I feel like, you know, three course meal, four course meal, yeah. seven, that's great. That, that's really great. But if you can make a simple sandwich that you can call your own. Yeah. It could be the breakfast. Uh, the Jerry. It could be breakfast. It could be dinner. It could be, I mean, I just think there's something wholesome about a good old fashioned Sandwich. Now, so okay, so I put it. I put a quick ban on you saying seven different sandwiches that you make that are really good. Mm. But you do have. You basically have. I would say you have a signature sandwich for all three meals. Your signature lunch sandwich is the one you just noted. Mm. Your signature breakfast is you make a hell of an egg sandwich, and I think your signature dinner sandwich is the chip steak oh. with roasted red some ketchup. Oh, man. Or roasted uh, onions, ketchup. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe you can have one of mine. No, I don't. You've got three. I've got no, none. It's, right. it's the way it goes. No. I don't know. It reminds, by the time you're, I don't think there's a rush to do this, Mike. I think by the time that you're a dad, you need one because one of the defining traits of my dad is his fried bologna sandwiches. And they're so, mm. so basic, but the the fried bologna sandwich is so inextricably linked with my father that it's it's definitely his. And I think good part of being a dad is having a signature sandwich so jerry you're 
you're a little you're you're out ahead of the pack on this one. It seems. No, I've been I want, a dad I, for a long time. If, is, I mean, I didn't I didn't realize that, but oh, all right, fair enough. I could take that. That's a good point. But now I want to come back to your dad's sandwich for a second because I think it's all about oh. like these sandwiches are all about the way they pair. And to me, the the sandwich evokes memories of like a weekend afternoon. So I would imagine that the fried bologna sandwich must must be the perfect pair for a good afternoon screening of a the latest Denzel Washington film. <laughs> like it just it must be the perfect pairing. <laughs> Dad just got a stack of fried bologna sandwiches and the book of Eli on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> This was more of a Saturday morning or Sunday morning funnies kind of sandwich, but there's no doubt that many a, a grilled bologna sandwich has been consumed while watching a Denzel Washington picture by my father. Of course. So I like this one, ex- Gary. So what is it? Tell me about this fried bologna. Can we talk about this a little bit more? That's literally, he would throw bologna in a skillet and just fry yep. it on both sides and slap it on whole wheat square bread like the easiest sandwich you can think of and i always liked how the the bologna is round and the oh it cups it cups the bologna cups yeah exactly and sometimes you have a little overhang and i would always bite that oh. first before getting into the middle of the sandwich it's it's as simple a sandwich as you can make but it's uh it's a signature one so yeah my uh, my grandmother used to make that that was one of her mm. her things too she'd fry it in butter and it has the ability to taste just like a hot dog yeah. maybe that's another pod hot dogs we could talk world's greatest hot dogs <laughs> we could do a taste test or something oh my god big fan anyway sorry Kyle so make sure you wait for me bologna. to be in Boston for that one because that sounds like a ton of fun that would be a fun one all right deal all right all right number four uh number four uh, <laughs> I don't know. This is so subjective. I guess this whole list is. You need to know how to do one thing, just one thing, really well. One one thing, like play a sport, play an instrument, play shoot pool. I guess is the proper term. Do a card trick, something. There, there's got to be something, one thing that you could do really well. Like not everybody's a world class athlete. Some guys can play ball. They can shoot hoops. Whatever. But I feel like there should be one thing that you can, you just, you're proud of that you, that you do. I like that a lot. So instead of having a signature sandwich, it's, it's have a signature skill. I think this, this reminds me, like, uh, when you read memorable movie or book characters, they feel like real people in that they have a lot of traits that are very common. But to make a, a character really memorable, I think a trick that people use is they give them some characteristic or trait that's exceptional and special just to them. And I think that's what makes a good book or movie character. But I also think that's something that makes people really likable is when they have something that's like, they're like, like you probably know someone who's like a really good juggler and it makes them more likable yeah. for it. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. I totally agree you. I think you and I were talking about this and Caroline was talking about this recently that you long time girlfriend. Yes. Long time girlfriend, uh-huh. Caroline. We were talking about friend of the pod. Yes. Good friend of the pod, Caroline. We were talking about somebody who will obviously for the purposes of this podcast remain unnamed. We consider to have no <laughs> taste <laughs> in anything. Yep. And we were, we're so broad in this concept, which is that they don't like good food. They don't like good music. They don't like good 
books. They don't like sports. They don't do a craft. They don't play an instrument. I could go on this list. The point is, we don't have a static definition of what makes good food. But good food, taste in food, just means that you have a certain type of food that you really like. Taste in books just means that you have a certain type of book that you really like. It could be anything. You could like James Patterson, or you could like J.K. Rowling, or you could like Ernest Hemingway. It doesn't matter. You have to have something that you like. This person, we agreed, it was such a damning thing. It was not a very nice thing to say about a person, but they don't seem no. to care about anything, any craft, hobby, anything. Everybody needs to have something. And really, maybe other than like a short list of people, you go around, everybody's got something that they really care about. Like we have a, we have a good friend. He's not really into gourmet food, but he loves cars. He loves fixing things. He knows how to fix things and how to pick out the best electronic stuff. Like that's something that really he holds to a high standard. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of like an equalizer. You know, as a, as a kid, as a boy, everything is about the playground. Everything's about, you know, picking sides. And I wasn't the first guy taken, but I wasn't the last, generally speaking, either. And I feel like that's such a hard way to identify your yourself right if you're not good enough what about this you're the last guy taking you're the last kid in gym and so i feel like if if you have something you can do it overcomes a lot of that crap it sets you aside i mean there's a lot of cool things people do and so i feel like if you've got one thing it makes you so different and unique it's uh kind of kind of makes makes you okay and i guess that's a big part of this list is being okay being an okay dude i'm I'm glad you put it in that perspective because it, it we said skill, but I think you alluded to it, Mike. It doesn't have to be a skill. It can just be a passion, something that sets you apart. And having a passion or something that's unique to you, especially at a young age, can really have a serious effect on not only the way other people view you as an interesting or good person, but how you view yourself. I know for me, that was a huge part about growing up is finding something that you're passionate about, something that is unique about you. And that can have compounding effects in terms of all it's all sorts of aspects of a person's life i think this is a really good one totally i think kyle what you're getting at too is when you can find us something that's unique to you it takes you out of this sort of competitive rat race that exists from the time you're a kid to the time you're adult like i think even now what that we're you know a couple years into our working careers a lot of people are already really hung up in measuring themselves based on salary or the prestige of their jobs and stuff like that. And that's just a really hard way to go through your life because you may or may not have the background or the skills or the luck or whatever it is to be in the right spot at the right time. But if you really love to make good cocktails or you're a really good woodworker, they're really it's really hard to find a measurable way of comparing yourself to other people in that stuff. And so it allows you some source of self-worth and interest that isn't comparable. It takes you, it just, instead of, instead of worrying about whether you're the first kid picked or the last kid picked, you're just saying, I don't care. I, I'm over, I'm over whittling in the corner. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah. I can do something different. What I, another thing I love about people that are like this, and it's, most people, but I think people that know how to take something that they're passionate about or really, really good at and make it relatable to all kinds of people are universally beloved because I love talking to a person about something that they care about, even if it's not something that I don't know a lot about and I don't feel like I'm excluded from it. Sometimes, especially when that's the case. Right. 
Yeah, this is this, I I love this one. I, like especially if we're leaning into like the just like things that make a person relatable or likable or just generally successful. Like this is huge. I agree. It's gonna. I'm interested to see what the top three is because yeah. this one places high on my list. This is such a great quality. And I'm glad you brought because this isn't like a. It's not. It's not an obvious thing. It's not an actionable or like it might have slipped through the cracks if I had sat down to make a list like this myself. So thank you, Jerry. Oh, you're quite welcome. <laughs> uh, can we do honorable mentions? Yes. I don't know. Rapidly. Ra- all right, I'll do them rapidly. So uh, I'm looking through these rapidly. lists and doing research. I'm going to at the end, and I came across some list of things that I think are really, really cool that are totally unrelated and are unrealistic. But I really liked them. So I thought if I could do any of these things, it would be really cool. Uh, one is play one song on a guitar. Hmm. Like, how cool would that be? Kumbaya. I would expand that to play one song on an instrument. So like, if you know how to play a song on the piano, like that, you could, that's good enough. Or like yes. guitar, piano, I think are like yeah. the, the two big ones. Clarinet. For mm-hmm. long time sure. girlfriend Caroline. Tuba. Did she play the tuba? No, she was a clarinetist. Hmm, interesting. If that's the term. Yeah. So just that would be kind of cool. Pick a lock. Ooh. Ooh. Pick a lock. How would you? Who doesn't want to know how to pick a lock? That would be really cool. And seriously, right? I watched Kyle pick locks on a video game. Like, just watched him twiddle his thumbs picking a lock in a video game for hours at a time in college. Really? really? <laughs> yeah. This is uh, this is Skyrim, everybody. Yeah. Does he pick locks on his bagel sandwich? Oh, ah, nice. good one, John. Dylan's back. See what I did there? Dylan. You like that? Ah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are kind of James Bondish. Yeah, I like stuff, that. I really you know, the thing, though? though, is that every kid, like, 12 and younger on every TV show ever knows how to pick locks. Like, where did they learn this skill? Yeah. I was just yeah, watching, to- we were just watching Stranger Things, and this kid that's in, like, fifth grade is picking a lock with a paperclip, and I'm like, where the fuck did she learn how to do that? Yeah. That's yeah. so yeah. cool. I don't mm. remember this specifically happening, but I have to imagine the younger sister from Drake and Josh picked a lock once or twice. Undoubtedly. Yeah. These are skills that nobody teaches you. Like, not to digress, but I was yeah. thinking of this list. And the school of life. I always, I always wanted to make things explode. <laughs> like, how cool would it be to be able to make shit blow up? Like, as a kid, we had firecrackers, right? You'd get them, you'd empty them out, and you'd do some elaborate slow burn like you'd see in the western movies that you know blows up a stagecoach or whatever sure i feel like somewhere in here if you could not not in the destructive hurtful way but you know your own backyard be able to create something to blow shit up would be really cool akin to picking a lock yeah yeah like some knowledge of pyrotechnics yeah and availability (laughs) you know beyond baking soda and vinegar but anyway i digress um, one other thing that I'm sorry I got to add in here just because I think it's so cool is someone came up and says you should be able to survive a bear attack. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, how freaking cool is that? I have this thing. I, for me, if I were to actually put this on my list, it would be not survive but fight a bear. Like, I think that would be really cool. If you could go hand-to-hand, you know, you get an aluminum bat, a, a whatever. Jerry has... And as you know, Kyle has a very unrealistic sense of where he stacks up against various wild animals. Yeah. Like he really is pretty convinced that he could take on a chimpanzee when pretty plainly a chimpanzee would rip his ass to pieces. 
And then what, I, what ends Wait. up? Ha- I know what. What weapon do I have? This is this argument ratchets up because he then gives himself increasingly dangerous weapons. And somehow, when he says, "Oh, I can have a grenade launcher, yad kick attack," no, that's not d- true. He, he plants nope. his flag and declares that nope. victory over the nope. chimp. Nope, it's me and an aluminum bat and the chimp, and I'm feeling really good about that it. That chimp is going to eat your ass. Not a chance. Even your face with a bat, like that woman who got the transplant. Thank you, Kyle. I'm, I'm. He's he's with me. I don't think he is. I don't think you're yeah, listening. He is. I think if. I think even if you had an, I think an aluminum bat evens the playing field a little bit, but what you, you have to understand, Jerry, a chimpanzee is, if in this scenario it understands that it needs to fight you, it is going to absolutely kill you and it's not going to hold back. I, I, I would think that you wouldn't be able to beat a chimpanzee to death with a bat, whereas a chimp could eat, tear your throat out without thinking twice. Yeah. It's smarter than you. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and that helps it's too. It's faster than you. It's stronger yeah. than you, and it and it won't hold back even for a second. I think. Well, some- that's the only I, I Kyle, don't take it too far. I don't think he'll hold back on the chimp. I knowing him, he's biting that chimp from the second that fight starts. <laughs> You're fighting dirty on that chimp. Oh, no, absolutely. I know. All right, so yeah. let's get Anyways, back to the sorry. list number three. <laughs> All right, sorry about Wait, that. Wait, can I add one to that list that like I wouldn't actually sure. stump for, but I think is cool? I think being able to, and this is this comes from me being unable to do this and looking like an idiot the several times I've tried. I think it's just cool to be able to jump a fence effectively. Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've seen Kyle try; it wasn't great. I did this at the uh, uh, work. Uh, summer picnic. I like jumped over a fence to get a ball that someone hit over it, and I like got my foot caught and like i played it Uh, off kind of cool but like my foot was (laughs) bleeding like it was terrible it was so embarrassing and like this is not an essential skill but if you can know how to jump a fence or just climb one without hurting yourself i think it is pretty cool so really cool very cool i like that you what do you have michael i'm gonna wait to see what you got yeah for the okay yeah all right so number three is know how to tell a story or a joke, mm-hmm. and you know I like that that kind of goes out to uh, podcast friend Marvin K. Mooney. You <laughs> yes. go, you get after it. Way to get after it, Marvin. Nice work. But I think I think that's really cool if you can, uh, you know, if you know how to tell a joke or tell a story. It's just <laughs> uh, what uh, what boy. nothing. Nothing, nothing. <sighs> this is the Scorched Earth Tour. <laughs> what? Jerry, Jerry just throwing a haymakers. Pow, pow, pow. <laughs> incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so a story or a joke. Yes. I think the important thing is a story or a joke. Yeah. Because not everybody who can tell one can tell the other, but I think being able to effectively do one or or, or the other is big. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, like, <laughs> but you have to, <laughs> you can fall into a trap, though, because we have, like, three good stories, but everyone that we know has heard those three stories so many times. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be careful, but you're right. Like, having a good one to, to just be able to pull out at parties or something like that it really goes a long way. Mike, you're particularly... Well, you're particularly good at this. Like being able to throw a life preserver into a conversation and like keep it afloat is a really important skill that this goes a long way towards. He's talking to you, Jerry, not me. No, I'm talking to you. We know, he was talking oh, to you. Wow, yeah. Thank you. You know, it's kind of funny. We, we all know that person who tells a story and like on a map where one inch equals one mile. Oh yeah. In this case, it's 
four inches equals one inch. So the story takes four times longer than you were if you were actually there. Yeah. And it's horrible. And it's usually I found that people who are telling those stories it's usually they're picking the wrong story to tell in the first place because they think there's definitely in in this sort of like storytelling, joke telling, and by extension, conversationalist sort of situation. A big decision is whether to talk or not. That's like that's one decision. What to talk about and then how to talk about it, I guess, are kind of the big decisions. The weather to talk about decision is a huge one. And our good friend of the pod, well, good friend of us, I don't think he actually listens to the pod, Mikey Mike, is so great at that decision because he is just, he's a high percentage shooter. He doesn't shoot much. He stays back in conversations where he doesn't feel like he's would be adding anything. But when the time comes, he just comes out of nowhere and, and really kills it. So that's a big decision. What to talk about. Those people who suck at telling stories are typically telling you about a vacuum or a dentist appointment. And then last is just really knowing how to execute. Yeah, I think it's important to note because I struggled with this for a long time and I, I, I'm conscious of it now, but I still think I do it is just because your story is relevant doesn't like, even if it fits perfectly, it does not mean that you should say it. Like, which I think is a, a hard thing for people to, to come to grips with. And I'm still working on it, but like sometimes it's just not, it's just, just leave it out. We were fine. Kyle, I am so with you on this one because this is a lesson I've been learning because I think my instinct is sort of like you were saying, my instinct is always to continue a conversation where I feel like I have a, a relevant counterpoint or similar situation. And the intention for me is just to talk because I like talking to people. But I think sometimes it can come off like you're trying to one up people. Yeah. And I'm very conscientious of not making that seem like that's what I'm doing. So I'm that's something I've made. I'm glad to know that you're doing that, too, because I'm really trying to work on that. And I think a little bit of that might have to do with the pod because we've <laughs> talked about it. We we definitely you have to be careful about not like when you say something and I respond a certain way or vice versa, you and I both know the intention, but I think having an audience makes you consider how that comes off in a new way. And so I think it probably has impacted both of us. This has certainly been a factor in it, but. And definitely this episode's host, I know, thinks about that. Yeah. I, I gotta tell you, I'm really working on that. I think I've only been censored once so far. So I'm, uh, I'm learning. And the it. audience didn't even know it. No, I know. I know. Anyway, this is so, good. One. Yeah, I think I would just. I think I would add onto this, like, know a good story and joke, and and tangentially related to that, like, and know when and know when to tell it, right? Yeah, it's like the punch. It's very yeah. similar to the punch yeah. situation. I think. Yeah. Very good. I just think it makes you kind of endearing. Yeah. You know, if yeah. You, and and it could be a one line joke, or it could be a you know funny anecdote. Do you guys know? A person that, like, when you talk about them, you talk about a story that that is theirs. Because we have, so you guys both know my stepdad, and he has a friend. And, like, whenever we talk about him, we're like, you have to hear this guy's, like, he tell. it's the best, it's not the best story I've ever heard, but it's the best telling of a story I've ever encountered. It's, and I won't spoil it, because hopefully you'll meet him and he'll tell it to you someday. It's the best story I've ever heard told, and it's, it's directly connected to him and it's a part of his his whole persona it's really cool and i'm sure i feel like a lot of people know a person like that michael and i have someone in our life in our lives who who isn't necessarily a great storyteller but when she tells a story she enjoys it so much she yeah 
<laughs> she chokes and snorts and yeah, like it's it's not the story. It's the the beauty the joy, of the, sto- the joy. Yeah. Is the is the telling of the story? Yeah, it's nothing to do with what's being told. It's just simply fun to be around because there's so much passion and um, enjoyment. You're 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 deriving all this joy from watching someone else really enjoy what they're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, um, number two is to make enough money mm. for you. Make enough money for you. So without without sounding dickish, it's it's for you. It's you know I don't know whatever that means. I whatever your aspirations are, just be able to make it, know how to make enough money for you. Yeah. You know, not to you don't have to be Bill Gates or or any of these people with bazillions, but just be able to make enough money to do the things that you kind of think you want to do and need to do. I feel like that's pretty important. It's a really important distinction, and I think an important side note to that is be able to know how much money you actually need because i think there's probably a large a large number of people that are running around or making more than they probably need to but don't realize i don't know it, it's coming around in a weird way but at least for me like understanding where that line is and making sure that you can actually stop even if you know where the line is like being able to stop yourself from exceeding it i think is a really hard skill to come by i feel like I'm trying to remember what the number was, but I heard I heard somewhere I want to say it was like eighty thousand bucks was the number at which the average person kind of reaches this baseline level of comfort in their lives and satisfaction. After which each dollar becomes less valuable to them. So like it's it's a relatively high number when you compare that to you know incomes around the country, but. It's also a relatively low number compared to what people, the kind of numbers people stuff in their heads. So I think it really speaks to this disconnect between what people are making, what they think they should be making, and where they really can kind of start to be pretty satisfied and comfortable in their lives. And I agree. I think the Cliff Notes version of this, of this item and this list is like, make money, punch people. But like, when you think about it, it's, it's not that. It's, it's about like know what what your number is and that's that's the big thing because i think the people who are most unhappy are the people who don't know what their number should be for them because it's x for one person it's 10x for another person it's a billion x for another person and it's okay i think it's okay if if you're bill gates and your number is a billion x that's fine but then you're gonna have to figure out a way to go make a billion x because otherwise that pursuit is gonna really suck you dry right yeah there is no number the number is yours that's that's the only point is it's just you know being able to know what what you need and what you're capable of and and then being able to go get it pretty i think that's pretty important yeah yeah i like that one a lot especially i don't know for (laughs) i think my understanding of at least of my industry and i wonder probably if it's pretty pretty relatable to other people our age then we're getting to a point where you're hitting like an inflection point of whether or not you really want to put your foot on the gas and knowing whether or not you like want to do that is a decision that a lot of people are having to make right around now. And it's very much tied to understanding what your capabilities are, but also what your desires are and where, how you can make those two equal. It's, it's, I totally agree. I think we're at, we're, it's interesting to compare the point that we're at in our careers with the point that Jerry's at in his career, which is, you're right. At our age, it's funny. I'm hearing people who I work with start, who are kind of my age, start to quote like numbers that they think they should be making. And those numbers are like triple and quadruple what we, I, you know, I'm making and they're making. And that, that's such a big jump that it requires a 
big change in your life or like a big change in your company and all this stuff. So it's if you don't approach that the right way, you're looking at a big disconnect between what you think you should be doing, and what you're doing. And that can lead to real like stress and unhappiness. And I think at your phase in your career, you're at a place where a lot of people are like making real decisions about how much more do I need? Like, I think for our age, it's like how much people are starting to make the distinction between how much can I and yours is more of like the how much do I want to, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't want to sound preachy because I don't know anything. And and that wasn't the the point of the, you know, the list. But it's interesting to Michael's point. I've been working for 30 something years and I've doubled the amount of money I've made a number of times in my career. And it's, it's not that impressive. My first job, I think I made $16,000 a year. So it isn't, I'm not, it, it's, it's not the point that it's a lot of money. It's not. It's just that as you go along, you go towards this wanting new things and bigger things and better things. And it just doesn't stop if you're not careful. That's why I feel like, yeah. well, what's enough? You know, how much do you want? Everybody, we don't all aspire to the same thing. So if you can figure out what you want, and are are able to go get it. There you go. That's that's pretty pretty important, I think. Really sound advice, Jerry. Ugh, wasn't trying to be advice, Kyle. It's it is advice. This whole embrace it. It's advice. You're the elder statesman of the pod. We're oh, taking it. Ad- you're giving, and we are taking advice. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. We're going to revisit that in a minute because I do intend to give a disclaimer to the whole thing. Okay. Good. Uh, so so the number one thing on the list is how to make your signif- how to not know how to make your significant other happy. And that's a whole can of worms and we're not gonna I'm that's everything that it implies. Oh boy. This is not gonna turn into sex ed from Jerry. No, it's no it's not. It just means it just means if you have a significant other, um that you're hanging out with, you got to know how to make them happy. And I think if, if you do that, uh, that's, that's pretty important on the list. Yeah. I, I would like to say that as someone that I'm, I'm woefully sometimes just ignorant of understanding this about other people. And one of the greatest joys of my life so far is getting to know another person so well that I feel like I know this about them, like on an intimate level and this works two ways because it's 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 tacky and cliched and stupid to say you know like happy wife happy life but, but i think it's true in a way that's not intended when people say that like when your significant other is happy like that that's that brings out happiness in you not because like my life is easier but because there's this great feeling of two people that are mutually making each other happier and it, it, it i don't know this this all sounds very cliched i think but I, as someone who i think historically have been very uh ignorant to the finer details of other people's personalities and how i fit into their lives it's been a real pleasure to be able to do that with somebody so i think this is a, a, fa- a fantastic number one he's describing goodwill hunting yeah well that actually before we tease that was beautiful kyle that yeah, was nice that was very nice um well done but i agree it's i think that is a little bit of a goodwill hunting thing it's just finding it's finding how you how you translate the like the shakespeare sonnets thing to the you know your wife farting in her sleep so loud she wakes herself up like that's the that's kind of the thing. It's taking it off of the page. It was beautiful, boys. <laughs> do we do we need to recount? Recap? Well, uh, should we talk about how we might want to rank some things? Or what do you think, Kyle? Or do we want to let this sit as more of a well, Jerry's pod? 
Do you have any things that you want to talk about in terms of, of honorable mentions? Because I have a couple things, and I don't think I want to stump for them on a list, but I think they're important things, skills that a person should know. And I know we're running long here, but I think that's okay. Yeah, I think I think the the potting public will be okay with that. Um, why don't you take a couple, and I I might have a couple that I think of. Yeah, so these are pretty these are pretty on the lighthearted end of things. But one, I think like cooking stuff. I like that you said signature sandwich, Jerry. And I think in general, like you can get away with a lot of different degrees of cooking ability. But I think if you call yourself a cook or pride yourself at all of being able to do things in the kitchen, I think one thing you should be able to do is make eggs and do a couple of different kinds because that's a great yeah, one there's i think like that represents a very baseline level of cooking like you should be able to do something over easy you should be able to do something scrambled like you should be able to if someone is at your home and they've stayed the night you should be able to ask them what kind of eggs they want and you should be able to prepare to prepare them and then after that you might be the greatest cook in the world or you might do macaroni all the time i think you should be able to make eggs i think that's important you know that's that's a really good one. I was I'm a big fan of cooking shows, and I was watching. Um, I don't remember if it was Julia Child or whatever, but there's a French chef named Jacques Pepin, and he was on the um, TV show, and he was actually demonstrating how to scramble eggs. And I, when it started, I thought, Wow, that's what are you talking about? But but when he was done, he was talking about how moist they should be, what they should look like. There were so many things. Well, about we it pointed that, out I made scrambled yeah. eggs this weekend, and I've been making scrambled eggs for years. This is the first good scrambled egg I've made. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah I know, yeah, no. I know. But it's but it seems so simple, but it's not. And I agree. Yeah. It, it demonstrates. I think I think the scrambled egg. It just shows you care. It shows you care enough to learn. Yeah, and that's the egg generally. Yes. I think just a hot tip, eggs in general, what changed my scrambled egg life is you just, the the phrase is slow and low. Your eggs will be fluffier if you just, it's just, it's worth the wait with scrambled eggs. The temptation is always to kind of get in there and agitate it and, and play around with it. Just leave it on the low burner and that's the way to get the best eggs. The other thing I had was, I think once you reach a certain age, you should be able to order a drink because- ah. I think there's not, I think something that can really affect someone's image or the way you think about someone is if, or I don't know, it, like I think not being able to, to order a drink is kind of like a, something that kind of strikes me as kind of weird. And I always am impressed. This is kind of the same thing, having like a signature sandwich, having a drink that you know you like and, and be confidently going up to a bar and ordering it or ordering it at a table. I think that is like a diff, like a, a differentiator for me for some reason. <laughs> Should you know how to make it too? Cause that's interesting. I, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's critical. I don't think it's essential. And a lot of these skills we've been talking about are essentials. I think that is a next step thing. Like if you can, I I agree. I think bartending in general, if you can invite people over and you have a bar and you can make a variety of drinks, you are like, you're just, you're winning. You're at a next level. But I think at at a a very basic level, you should be able to order a, a drink effectively. Yeah, so that guy can probably pick locks too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, those are like a couple that I thought of. I'm sure there are more. One, but... one that I thought of that's pretty related, kind of the specific skill set ones, is um, driving. Just being able to drive well. I don't really think you need to be a, a stunt car driver uh, like 
not friend of the pod, but friend of us, John. <laughs> he is the most magnificent driver I've come across, but we don't need to be aspiring for that. If you know how and when to signal that you're changing lanes, how to merge properly onto the highway, how to parallel park to a certain degree, you make the people around you much more comfortable. Because I think as a whatever, whatever, whatever role you occupy in a ride, like your buddies switching off on a big car trip or you're a parent driving a family, whatever it is, nobody is having fun if you're not a good driver. Yeah, great I think, point. I think it's really important as a driver to know your audience because I consider myself an exceptional driver, but only if it's just me in the car, because I know my car and I know the gaps I can get through and I know how yeah. other people are going to react. I can drive in the city very well. But if I drive like that when other people are in my car, and I do this all the time and I apologize, but like when other people drive with me, like I'm a shitty driver. Like I wouldn't want to drive with me. So like know your audience. That's yeah. a big part of driving. Yeah, that's huge. It makes them feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Anything else, Mike? No, that was the big one. You cut, the drink was a big one I wanted to, to mention, but I'm, I think you hit it perfectly. Yeah. I, I think those are, for me, those are ones that I wanted to mention, but I'm not like going to impose them I on think, this list. I think, I think driving is huge. I mean, I think that could absolutely go on the list, you know. Yeah. That would be, that, I think that's big. That would be one I would be potentially interested in that in the drink one. The only, the only real change I would want to make to this list is I actually think that number four currently the like have a skill hobby. T- I think that's number one. I, with the way you put it made me think it's number one. I think for me, it would jump, it would jump high and our current number one, I think maybe deserves to drop ever so slightly just because there are a lot of people in this world that live fantastically fulfilled and fulfilling lives to others without having a significant other. Whereas I think being able to do one thing really well, regardless of your relationship status or anything is very important. So I, I think I agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. Okay, cool. So it sounds like what we're going to do then is move that one up to one and then find some place to insert driving and then we'll get out of here. I think that's the play. Jerry, are you good with that? I'm good with that. Okay. Uh, Jerry, where, where would you insert driving into your own list here? Oh, let's see. You know, I, I maybe could get rid of, uh, being able to tell if someone's lying. That seems kind of negative. You know, I, <laughs> I like that. And I actually think that would be a comfortable place to drop driving right in. It's weird that you guys are thinking that because I was weirdly in the same vein. I'm, I'm cool with that. Excellent. I think that that might work out perfectly. So just drop driving in at number seven. Yeah. And I think that saves us. We don't have to send a special notice to iTunes that we're going to be running a six hour pod, right? (laughs) I think we're going to be in good shape. So, okay. In that case, then I think what we've done there is, and I still don't know what we're going to call this, but we've developed a top, a definitive top 10 list for essential life skills. And I don't know, like it still doesn't feel quite right. We'll have to brainstorm this. Yeah, with this, this we'll have to think about this one. Can I give a disclaimer? Let's hear it. I know, I know, we're running long, but you know when they include animals in movies and stuff like that, and they say no animals were hurt in the filming of this movie. Yes, <laughs> I, I kind of want to say, you know, we get through the whole thing, and we don't know what to call the podcast. I, I don't know. It, it seems awfully preachy. Like I might have an idea what I'm talking about, and I. 
where I was qualified to talk about cookies because I'm, I'm an expert in that. I'm like a non-relationship expert. You can ask anybody who knows me. I know nothing about relationships. I, 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 I think what's interesting is nobody who knows you would agree with that at all. You are exceptionally <sighs> adept at having relationships and going through life successfully. You are, you are no longer the whippersnapper who doesn't know anything. You are, as I said, the elder statesman of this pod. The people are clamoring for your thoughts on life. <laughs> oh, Seriously, you've yeah. just given the people what they want. There's no, you, I know you have a, you have a, cell level cell deep aversion to giving advice or or coming off as though you're preaching to other people which kyle, is fine kyle but let, we, we love to hear what you all right to kyle say. so anyway a guy i know that we're sort of friends whatever oh my god <laughs> called me last he called me last week and i hadn't heard from him in six months and i thought wow this is pretty cool he must want to talk sports or how's my family or something like that. And he says to me, I need some help. And I say, okay, wh what can I help you with? He says, well, I got this lady at work who I, I can't get rid of her. I, she seems very interested in me. And I said, well, do you mean she, she wants to date you or is it something romantic? I mean, I know your wife, that's kind of creepy. He said, no, she wants to be my friend. And I thought you were the one guy <laughs> that could help me with some strategy how to chase her away. So he thought you were the perfect person to ruin a relationship. Yes, right. So that's my disclaimer. But, but see, that's what you heard. What he was actually asking was for advice from somebody he trusts. Oh, boy. You, I will say that both of you, you guys, in the words of Ron Swanson, you guys know what you're about. And you don't abide stuff that you're not about. And I think that's probably what he knows about you. Yes. Hundred yeah. percent. Yes. So thank you for coming. We we're very glad we had you. You don't need any more disclaimers. Why don't you recap the list? Thank you so much uh, for having me. You've got it written down here. Why don't you do it? Do you mind? <laughs> okay. Well, you, you've you've got glasses on, don't you? Yeah, I do. But I don't know what you've done to the list. All you right. Sorta... Number ten. <laughs> shake a hand properly. Number nine. Do some simple mental math. Number eight. Change a flat tire in real road conditions. Yeah. Relatedly, number seven, drive with some degree of competence. Number six, know when and when not to throw a punch and be able to do it. Number five, have a signature <laughs> Sammy. I love this one. This I is great. One. At least one in your case. Yeah. Uh, number four, know how to tell a story or a joke or just make a conversation. Number three, Know what your number is, know how much money you need to make, and find a way to get it. Uh, number two is to make your significant other happy and to understand whether that's the right setup for you, as Kyle alluded to. And then number one, the most important thing that's going to make you a tolerable or even likable person is to have a skill, a hobby, or something in which you cultivate some sense of taste. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well done. Jerry, thank you so much for coming back on this pod. I'm sorry it took so long. We'd like to get you back on more often. It was a year highly. and a half, two years, was it? Yeah. Kyle, I'm I'm available every other week. So, you know, I and I was telling Michael, I've got six or eight things in the can. So, I'm readily available. We Mike and I were just discussing how we need to we had like a streak here of like a lot of pods in a row that were just the two of us, which is not like a 
it's not necessarily bad, but it's more fun than we have rated the on. lowest is is the two of us. Each of you and I have consistently been rated the the worst parts of this podcast. Yeah, we're the we're the common denominators in in the in that equation. So I yeah, I don't let it be heard here. I want you about I want you on as often as possible. Well, thank you for the kind invitation. I I hope we can do this in person sometime. Maybe up in a cabin somewhere, just hanging out, maybe having a drink or two and. Hey, you tell me when and I'll be there. Talk to my friend Michael. All right. Friend of the pod. Let's let's get that on the books. See you, dog. (laughs) Later, Thank you. Bye. Bye. Alrighty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week. But now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at Top10KM. That's all spelled out. Top10KM. Our email, top10km, spelled the same way, at gmail.com, or our site, top10km.podbean.com. All forms of communication accepted, except for serial killer notes. Please don't send us any of those. If you like the pod, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never have to miss an episode of Top 10 ever again. If you didn't like it, please tell us why. We'll try to make the show better. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod, and our artwork was created by Erin Sant. You can check out her stuff at Sant Design on Instagram. Alrighty, goons. We'll see you next week.